Welcome, Bizzlecast listeners, to Bizzlecast 50. This has been in the planning for a while, and I wanted to do it with my cousin Phil, because I love him and I love talking to him, and our Creed Rocky podcast together back in late 2015 is uh, been my most successful Bizzlecast podcast. We love talking about sports and politics at family events, and I'm sure we'll do a sports podcast at some point, but we had to do politics, and what's great is the two of us love talking shit. You can kind of tell that we're from Philly and Detroit, if you listen. But when it comes right down to it, we're, you know, I think both pragmatists when it comes to politics. And uh, you'll hear our views about Hillary and Bernie and Donald Trump. What? Donald Trump? We've got some Trump. Trump has never prayed to any god except for the porcelain one when he gets too drunk. We got some Sarah Palin. Michelle Bachman is evil, but she's clever. Sarah Palin's just good looking. She's too stupid to be evil. Does this make us elitist? Sorry, middle of the country people with no money who live in rural areas who will never hear this podcast. Oh, but Phil brings it into this one, Fox News. You know, you got Fox News, which is really, aka the Cartoon Network, that's what I call it. (laughs) Phil does a surprisingly good Stephen A. Smith impression. You know who Stephen A. Smith's sources are? I talk to the GM. I talk to the coaches. I talk to the players. I talk to the aficionados. Wait, what? Stephen A. Smith? Trump? What? Stephen A. Smith, and tr- he's like the Donald Trump of sports media. He likes to use a lot of big words. We send all due praise to President Obama. And so you have a really what I think is going to go down as one of the greatest presidencies in the history of the United States. And of course, we have predictions. Elizabeth Warren is going to get Bernie Sanders in line quick, fast, in a hurry. Just bookmark <laughs> that. Bernie Sanders is going to be on the Hillary train. I don't care what they have to promise him. They'll do it. She going to promise him an in and out Burger. And more predictions. <laughs> I think it's safe to say Monica will not have a position on the staff. And the biggest prediction of them all. So if it's Hillary versus Trump, who wins and by how much? I want to get this on record. Ah, uh, but you'll have to wait. Listen to the podcast for that. Welcome to the Quantum Zone with Phil and Bizzle on politics. Boom. And without further ado, Cousin Phil. You know, Phil and I have been debating for a while about Bizzlecast 50 and, and what we wanted to talk about. And, you know, we love talking history, but, you know, it it would be, um, uh, you know, I I think more interesting to the viewer if we at least frame some of that with talk about what's going on right now. Now, this is going to be very difficult, and this is a very personal podcast in a way. Um, And, uh, you know, I'll I'll say right out front that I am a Hillary Clinton supporter and have been really since she, before she announced, um, but I'm not like a hardcore supporter. You know, I'm not going to defend a lot of the stuff that she's done or said. Um, I, I'm sort of there by default, which is going to be one of our topics is like our choices are so lackluster. It's, it's like a lesser of two evils kind of situation. Wouldn't you say, Phil, in, in this uh, 2016 election? There's never been one like this election ever before in the history of our country. Never. Um, Abraham Lincoln didn't even get 50% of the vote. I mean, to see two candidates representing their party who have stronger dislike numbers than like numbers, it's just fascinating. And I I think there's a lot of reason for that. Um, I think social media plays a role in it. I think today's press plays a role in it, today's political press. And then you have a host of shows on television. You know, you got Fox News, which is really a.k.a. the Cartoon Network, that's what I call it. Um, I mean, seriously, I mean, it's just, it's, it just, it's mind-blowing how they take a truth and twist it and turn it. And, 
you know, MSNBC does that to a degree more towards the liberal side. They're 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 more like Adult Swim, as MSNBC. They they are, and then you know, I I tend to think CNN is in the middle. Um, but there's just so many points of view now, right? And people just get, you know, I just find that a lot of people are getting hooked on one topic. So they won't even look at the full body of work. They'll just look at the one topic or one thing that they're interested in, and that will be the way they lean, even if it doesn't make any sense, which is just baffling to me and embarrassing at the same time when I think that the rest of the world is looking at us in our election. And as Americans, I mean, we have the greatest secondary education system in the world. Everybody wants to go to college here. Everybody does. Everybody wants to come here and get a master's degree and get a, a doctoral degree. Um, you would think that we'd have a few smart people in this country. I think we're barely going to have enough smart people to elect the person who will probably do the least amount of damage in office. <laughs> and that and that's probably looking at it from a very negative stand. I mean, of course, I never wish anyone to do a poor job, but... Trump could get elected. I mean, as crazy as it sounds, the, the numbers are starting to tighten up a little bit, which is fairly typical. And um, I, I don't know. I just, I th- it's going to be fascinating between now and, and November when that election takes place. Well, just to jump in quickly about the constituency, I tend to argue um, that we're not dumber than before, and that people aren't dumber. What we are is really, really distracted by millions of stimuli and pieces of information. And so for a skilled uh, politician, say 100 years ago, a skilled politician would win by sticking to a single message, hammering it home, and you know, developing a, a ground game of representatives. And some of that still applies today. But a guy like Trump, I mean... <laughs> You know, the expression talking out of two sides of your mouth, he's talking out like 10 sides of his mouth, but it actually works in his favor because people who hate Hillary or hate Bernie or just trying to find a reason to like Trump can look at the 10% of information uh, that agrees with their notions and say, oh, I could get behind this guy and just, you know, screens out the other 90%. No? No, I, I agree. I think a lot of people today get their news from a screenshot that has been photoshopped with some text over it. Memes. <laughs> so no one's reading any stories. People are just looking at pictures and captions. And I then, believe I believe those are called memes, Phil. M- memes is that what it's called? M e m e. Yeah, memes. Yeah, I'm I'm an old guy. I'm 45. <laughs> I'm not hip. I don't have an Instagram account. Just for the Bizzlecast listening, though, Phil it look it says he's 45, but uh, me, who's not quite 35, he really looks my age. So uh, yeah. he's a, I mean, he's a I, fit I, dude. I, I like Drake, but I'm not listening to him on my iPhone. <laughs> I'm not down. Uh, I'm hip, but I wouldn't say that I'm down with the with the new generation. I mean, music—it's ridiculous. Everyone's making music on their computer. When did everyone yeah. stop playing an instrument? Are you kidding yeah. me? Actually, that's not true. Um, much higher percentage of kids are playing instruments now than 20 years ago. Yeah, but then when they go to cut a record deal, it's all done on the computer. Come on, let's get real. <laughs> and they're taking a picture think- of themselves doing it and posting it to Instagram. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, well, you post pictures to Instagram, but that's okay. You're an old guy. We'll let it go. <laughs> um, so, but do you see what I'm saying, though? Like, I don't think people are dumber. They're not smarter. It, it, like, it, this is the difference between knowledge and wisdom, right? Which is that we might actually be more knowledgeable than previous generations, but we're certainly not more wise. I and mean, you could easily argue that we're less wise. 
I, I think we're a lot less wise. We're, I think we're more consumed with ourselves. I'm not talking about everyone. I'm talking about most people. And you're right. I think, you know, with every bit of information at your fingertips now, and remember, people pick and choose how they want to get their information. So, right. you know, I, I mean, I think Facebook is great for certain things, but I, I truly believe that it has the news cycle that's been generated through Facebook with all of these, you know, left and right wing uh, pushes by people to create these bogus websites and post story, you know, just shocking stories with goofy pictures. Well, and and- let's forget the idiots, though. I mean, of my Facebook friends, you know how on Facebook you can just unfriend someone, but you also can just unfollow them so that your friends and they can you can access them, they can access you, but it doesn't show up on your news feed. You know what I'm talking sure. about? So I've had to unfollow like two dozen people, uh, most of whom I really like and respect outside of this because of just Bernie postings over and over and over and again. And I actually, when I was defending Hillary early on, I was like, shit, I got a podcast to promote. I don't care how annoyed I am. I'm, I'm going to stop posting a lot of political stuff because I don't want to lose podcast listeners. Oh, man. Uh, over that stuff. That's how crazy this has gotten. But the information thing applies even to smart people. Like I've had to pull myself out of some of this um, because even though I'm perfectly aware of what information, excessive information is doing to my brain, you just, you need to cut yourself off because then you start getting manipulated by just the overflow of it. And so I'm constantly telling all my relatives, it's it's like, turn off the TV, stop watching the news. You're not going to change your mind at this point. And and the electoral process is way too long. I think that's a really big part of the problem here. If you shorten the electoral process, you know, to three, four months, we might be talking about something else, right? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I hear you talking about friends, and uh, after some of your friends listen to this podcast, you're going to be wondering if they're one of those <laughs> people that you uh, cut loose. And then I'm thinking of the Houdini song from the 80s, the friends, how many of us have them? Let's be friends. Okay, you're really old. I mean, it's it's pretty – I mean, now you got the whole Facebook generation wondering if you cut them out, Jess. It's terrible. But no, seriously, on another note, yeah, you're right. Like, people have just stopped reading – and I, yep. I and I should also say people have stopped reading credible news sources. Everyone's picking and choosing. I mean, I, I have a friend that I work with who gets a lot of her news from Fox News, right. and we're very good friends. And I and I'll tell her point blank. I'll say, look, I you know most of what you're saying is not it's not true. You know that. And people tr- look people believe what they want to believe. And I've watched Fox News just to try to figure out and see what people see in that. I want to understand what people are identifying with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of characters. They shout a lot. (laughs) They they use a lot of simple vocabulary. Yeah, I should just say it. I think they're dumbing down the news a little bit. They're telling less than half-truths. And the news is so pushed over to the right. There's a there are big portions and segments of our population that it's the Bible to them. Fox News is the Bible to them. I almost feel it should be illegal in this country to watch that television station. It's it's just it's just I I don't know. I I'd like to give the American people more credit for being more knowledgeable and me being more wise. I don't think we're wise these days. I think 50, 60, 70 years ago, elderly people were wise because of the experiences that they had in life and how they, you know, living through wars, fighting in wars, uh, 
living through the industrial revolution, living through a stock market crash in 29 that put 25% of the people in our country um, out of work, uh, having 10 years of unemployment. People learn from being in those challenging situations, and it does make you wiser. I just feel like the last couple generations of, of people, they haven't had to experience any real heartache or headache or any real challenges in life. Maybe a little hiccup in the real estate market back in 2008, but nothing that like put people out of work and threw them out on the streets. I'm not saying that we need that to become more wise or even to become, become more understanding of others, but I just feel like we, we now live in, in a generation where people just think solely about themselves and they don't really reflect on how decisions impact all of us within this country. People are thinking about it regionally. People are thinking about it from a county perspective, from a small town perspective, from a neighborhood perspective, heck, from, from their house in the neighborhood. People are really just looking at everything now and how it will impact them directly as opposed to thinking about choosing a candidate who is going to make decisions that will help a majority of the people in the country. And that's called a democracy. And I just feel like with, with Trump, I don't know if he really represents, does he represent even 1% of our population? Because he's got 40, 50% in some states, but the people who are voting for him have absolutely nothing in common with him, Right. which, which completely baffles me. Everything yep. that these people who are voting for him, everything that they, that they can't stand, Trump actually represents. Yep. <laughs> that, that's the part that, that just, I scratch my head on that one. Well, here's, here's my diagnosis, which is that the problem with the candidates is really just symptomatic of a much larger problem, which is, goes back to my too much information theory, which is that I can understand why people f- watch Fox News or MSNBC, because the world is so complicated, the stakes are so high, you can find conflicting information about literally everything, including evolution. I mean, you know, we're 99.999% sure that evolution is real, but that, that last .001% is the reason it's called the theory of evolution. And so the anti-evolution people can latch onto that. There's just too much information. And I think that people turn to MSNBC and Fox News and so forth because they're insecure about their own beliefs and, and, and to harden their beliefs and to simplify things because there is too much. Because think about it, when it comes to politics or really anything, but especially politics, when you're reading a, a, a news piece about politics, right, it's either to A, back up what you already believe or B, challenge your beliefs. And people just don't do B very much. People don't go after what challenges their beliefs, you know? So while I read almost all the Bernie articles that my friends post, they won't even read my Hillary articles and just go after me, Uh, you know? I mean, and some of them are reading it, though. Some of them have more complex views. Um, But the thing with me is, once I'd researched both candidates for three months, I was like, all right, I don't love Hillary. She's a problematic candidate, but I'm not going to switch, so why keep reading these articles? Now, I'll read news pieces, like the FBI report or the State Department that came out about Hillary in the emails. Like, of course I'll read that. But in terms of, like, you know, reinforcing what I already believe, does does that make sense? And just, like, that that instinct to spend more time reading about and listening to and, and watching what you already believe as opposed to the other side is what's making this problem worse. Oh, I, absolutely, and I think all of your Bernie friends, they're hoping he gets elected. Who so I love, who others, I love, others, who I love, Bernie friends. Given. 
<laughs> yeah, I love their student loans to be forgiven, but yeah, right. they, they should realize that that's not really realistic. You know, they're, I saw, you know, I look, I like Bernie's message. I think people yeah. are latching onto him the same way people on the other side of the fence are latching onto Trump. Sure. Bringing something different, a new message wants to shake things up. Um, you well, know, let me, wait, can I stop you there? Yeah. Is is difference for difference's sake ever a valid point of view? No, it's not. And yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, no, I, I don't think so. And I think it's also, you know, people who try to tell oh, Trump will come in and, you know, he wants to abolish the IRS. He wants to abolish the Department of Education. I, what? We just we completely destroy everything and then shake it out and see what comes out on the other end. I don't think you can do that. <laughs> I, I don't think that would be good for our country. And then, you know, Bernie, I mean, yeah, he's really toned down his rhetoric. Lately, he hasn't given a lot of detail behind anything that he would do. Well, and by the way, really quickly, before you finish, yep. his, his rhetoric has turned from, we're going to take this to the convention, to we're going to take this until the last vote has counted, which pretty much is signaling that once the primaries are over, it, it seems like he will drop out, whereas a month ago that didn't necessarily seem the case. Go ahead. You, no, you're right, and I I really tag Bernie as an idealist. So I I don't I I think it's great. You know, he's not a flip flopper. I like that about him. Um, yeah, but that's also uh, I can't get behind the flip flopper thing. I mean, aren't we allowed to change our minds in our life? You know, I mean, people say, oh, the Clintons are actually really conservative. Look at Hillary, you know, what she said in 1997. I'm like, yeah, but you also have to look about what she said in the last five years or, or any of these candidates. Yeah, but Jess, when I when we say when I think when I say flip flopper, I'm talking about, you know, Hillary will talk negatively about the banks and then she'll go and give speeches on Wall Street and collect ungodly amounts of money. Whereas Bernie, he doesn't take any of that money. So when I say flip-flopper, he doesn't say one thing and then go take money from somebody who supports the other end of the cause. He's been very true to his word on that throughout his entire career. I mean, you got to give him props for that. Oh, come on, Phil. As a capitalist, how could you be against Hillary making money in her private life? It's not corruption. Corruption would be if she was taking bribes. But, but, but in your private life, to speak and take money for speeches, even if it is ungodly and you don't like the people they're talking to, that's capitalism. So if she's not breaking any laws, I, I don't really see what the big deal is. Okay, so she's not breaking any laws, Jess, but... I, it's a conflict of morality. Uh, it, it's a conflict of morality. You cannot run. You cannot run against Wall Street publicly and then go and take money from them behind closed doors. It's it's a conflict of <clears throat> morality, and I think that's the real issue with that. You're right. Capitalism is go out and make what you can. If somebody wants to pay her two hundred fifty thousand dollars to speak for thirty minutes, and her and Bill both come from working class backgrounds, so. It's not like they're silver spoon, you know? So when you come from a working class background and then you finally get a chance later in life to increase your wealth and pass that down to your, your children and grandchildren, I can't blame anyone for that. Now, now, if she's, you know, if she's like Darth Vader behind closed doors and is really calling for the overthrow of the world and, and genocide and so forth, but yeah, that's fine, you know? But it, just, just to make that money, uh, as long as they're not buying her off. I mean, Obama raised a ton of money from Wall Street because they saw him as the better bet um, in terms of the economy, and they turned out to be right. So with a politics today, Jess, you don't think that when she takes $250,000 from J.P. Morgan, 
and she gets elected, somebody from J.P. Morgan isn't going to be giving her a call later when they need a law passed or they need some help with some legislation. That That's how our politics work today, and that's what people are tired of. And that's why I think so many people are drawn to Bernie, because he is somebody who I believe wouldn't do that. I mean, I can honestly say in all the years that I've covered and watched and read and followed politics, there are only two politicians that I actually felt like I could truly trust 100%. Obama was the first one in 2008, and Bernie was the next. I mean, he he says some wild things. He is an right. idealist. I like to call him an idealist. Other people will call him yeah. a, a socialist and call him he, lots no, of negative No, he calls himself things. a socialist. He, do, he does, but I, I really call him an idealist because a lot, a, lot of his, a lot of his thoughts and his ideas and what he shares on the campaign trail – it's about making our country great. I mean, who who wouldn't want a, a college education, I, a free college education? I just had three teachers from Italy in my classroom the other day, and I was talking to them about the cost of college. Do you know how much it costs to go to a university in Italy for one year? Do you have any idea what that costs, Jess? Like $4,000 maybe? 2000 $2, US. Yeah. Yep. So you're, you're talking like eight grand for a four-year degree. Israel is free. There's universities in our country. You can go to Penn. You couldn't take three classes for eight grand. I, I mean, it just. Well, I, I can tell you. I can tell you my school. Um, <laughs> I went to Wesleyan. I graduated in '05. I won't say exactly what we had to pay then, but it's over fifty thousand dollars a year now, which is almost twice what I paid ten years ago. Oh, and if we take it ten years back before that, Jess, I graduated '96. I'm a Chippewa. I went to Central Michigan. And five years of college cost me $24,000. So, you know, Bernie promises many things. You know, full, full relief and refund of college debt is one of dozens. <laughs> and so I ask you, for all the criticisms of Hillary, shouldn't Bernie be getting some criticism for throwing out ideas that even super liberal economists like Paul Krugman of the New York Times say are absolutely absurd and impossible to implement? Yeah, I think people have criticized him for being an idealist i mean it's great to dream isn't it jess but isn't it responsible okay. to be a pure idealist as a politician i mean isn't that sort of wait did you just say the word responsible <laughs> in this particular election year <laughs> is anybody responsible no for i'm talking about us I'm talking about us, oh. us who label him. But yeah, I mean, I'm saying, you know, us who are creating this narrative, whether you like Bernie or not, and calling him an idealist and liking him or not liking him based on that designation, you know, to be a senator from a tiny northeastern state like Vermont, it, it, you know, he doesn't have to really serve many people, which, as you pointed out, would be nice to not have to answer to Wall Street and so forth. But he's never had to answer to them. He's never had to answer to, you know, a national presidency the way hillary clinton did as secretary of state he has zero superdelegates hardly and people think that that's a bonus somehow for him but dude i'm sorry to say all this fundraising that hillary gets criticized for that's what's built up or at least to stay in the democratic party which i will point out if everyone voted in every election the democrats would own every office from the presidency down to your municipal elections 
but that's not how it is. Because if you look at young people, minorities, and women, the only population that the GOP wins reliable, reliably are you know middle-aged and older white men. They just tend to have power and also tend to vote. And so Hillary to be rewarded for helping sustain the Democratic Party, and she's even said in a debate, she was asked by Rachel Maddow in that debate, you know, what, what, what is the biggest problem for the Democrats? And she says, we have to spend so much money on our presidential elections and so much effort to make sure the Republicans don't get it, that we're neglecting state and local level stuff. So hmm. she's, you know, if she's going to get in office and work with the people in Congress, it would make sense that the con- congressional people who are supporting her as superdelegates are supporting her because they want to work with her and think they can work with her. And so my point is always pragmatist. Everyone says Obama's an idealist, blah, blah, blah. He's never been a pure idealist. He's been very pragmatic. His foreign policy in 2008 on his platform was quite hawkish. People forget that. He was open about stepping up drone attacks and stuff like that. And so people who are like surprised that that's happening now doesn't make sense. Obama is an idealist more than Hillary for sure. But that also just comes from inexperience and not being in politics that long. And, you know, and again, I I think it's, I'm not going to use the word sexist, but it's interesting that no one cares to separate Hillary the person from Hillary the politician. And that's sort of an insult is that somehow she is, you know, just a politician and not a person. And I know you have personal reasons not to like the Clintons. We won't go on uh, on air about that for a number of reasons. Um, (laughs) I would say my people who have worked with the administration say Hillary's a lot nicer than Bill. Everyone thinks Bill's an asshole. Seems that Hillary actually isn't so bad, um, but doesn't really matter. The point being, I'm willing to live with 5 to 10% corruption if I think the politician's going to get stuff done. <laughs> I am. I am. I mean, you've got to grease the wheels. I'm sorry to say, man. You, you have uh, to grease the wheels. You've got to do it. Obama's been doing it. No one's talking about it. He's been greasing some wheels. That sounds like a very conservative number at 5 to 10%. <laughs> well, right. If she was 50% corrupt, then for sure I'd... But I, I'm not... I mean, you know, bad email communications? Okay, that was stupid. Wasn't, well, she wasn't running drug deals on her email communications. She's just an old lady that doesn't know Wait what the fuck she's doing. Are you sure? I thought I saw a couple of emails that Hillary wrote to Ali North. There might have been some Iran-Contra funding. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. Oh my God! No, I, I, yeah, you know, you brought up all very good points, and look, I'm not anti-Clinton. I just think uh, there needs to be some change in government. I'm, I'm tired of this network. Okay, wait, wait, hold on. I'm gonna stop you. I gotta stop you because this is the Bizzlecast. So occasionally, I'm gonna cut you off. I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) Forget about anti-Hillary. Do you really think that Bernie Sanders could be an effective? an efficacious and viable leader of the most powerful country on the planet for four years? Because I don't. No, I I don't think he could be, only simply because I think the the Republicans would probably give him a harder time than the Republicans give Obama. (laughs) Just because his ideology is so far to the left and his whole, you know, the whole socialist Except for gun control. Except for gun control, but... Which is another well, issue I feel very strongly about and upset with him, but go ahead. Well, listen, in Vermont, those those maple tree farmers, right. they got to protect that syrup from somebody, yeah. you know? There's, they, there's they kids the, up... They got grizzly bears up there. I totally get it, but... Please, they got high school kids tapping those trees at uh. nighttime, stealing <laughs> off that syrup. Are you kidding me? But, uh... I just I think he I think it would be very difficult for him to get anything done just simply because his ideas are so far to the left. I mean, 
you know, Obama doesn't get enough credit for trying to reach across the aisle. I think he has. I think he's always been that way. He's always been someone who's rational and will listen to both sides. I mean, he is a guy that that practices compromise. I don't know if I really get that feeling from Bernie, and I just think it would be hard for him to get a lot done. I just don't. I, I just don't think the conservatives. I don't think the Republicans. They just don't like Bernie. He's just too far left. And and to compound that, some of the moderate Republicans do like Hillary. No one's saying it, and no one's going to say it openly during the yeah. election. But Hillary's numbers since the build days among among centrist Republican women is extremely much higher than you would think it would be. I don't have the exact number right now in front of me, but I do monitor these things. Moderate women who are either independent or Republican do tend to like Hillary. And all of the sexism coming out of the Trump camp, and maybe this will be a good uh and maybe this will be a good transition, is you know, if you're a minority or a woman, how can you vote for Trump? And just a disclaimer, we're not telling anyone what to do or what to think. I will never tell minorities and women, but me as a Jew, you know, I mean they're, they're, like anyone who's not a white Protestant male with money <laughs> you know, like where, what, what, Phil? Okay, can I share this with the Bizzlecast listeners that you're a registered Republican? Sure. Can you just give us because but you're really sent like a you're what the I wish the center of this country was. I wish we had a full country of centrists like you who are open minded to both sides. It just doesn't exist. So you're a registered Republican, but you like Obama. weren't a big fan of George Bush. You just give us a little a little run through here of of your political you know kind of yeah, uh, situation. I am, I am a Reagan Democrat. I registered to vote at the end of Reagan's second term, and I loved Ronald Reagan. Oh my God, uh, you are old. <laughs> I am. I'm old. I, I loved him. I was a senior in high school when he was finishing out his term. But okay, uh, you know, and I really liked the first Bush. I mean, you know, hindsight, first Bush made a great decision not to invade Iraq. His son didn't. <laughs> I mean, I know. The, iron, he, the ironies just keep they, piling on. It's unbelievable. They do. I mean, he was really criticized and probably lost that re-election bid to Clinton just because of how he handled that whole the whole desert storm and didn't go into Iraq. I think if he would have went into Iraq short term, it would have helped him get re-elected. Long term, we would have seen what's happening right now in Iraq. But but what he didn't see, and I blame Clinton for this as well, and maybe I blame Clinton even more because it was manifested during his regime with the birth of Al Qaeda, is you know not only did Bush two repeat or make the mistake that Bush one didn't make, which is to actually invade the country, but neither of them considered the possibility of the radicalization of Islam that would, you know, not only happen, but evolve and grow with each new invasion of that region, right? I don't know if anybody really saw that coming. I mean, we trained Osama bin, the CIA trained Osama bin Laden. Who would have thought that he would have turned on us 15 years later and and put together Israel? Israel's been facing Islamic terrorism since before it existed. Just talk to them. It's amazing. America had no clue. They, they bombed, when Reagan was president, they bombed the shit out of Beirut in the military barracks and killed like 200 Marines. Like, that's not mm-hmm. a wake-up call? Come on. This, I'm sorry, this whole notion that Republicans are A, hawkish, and B, better for the economy, neither of those really showed to be the case if you look at Bush 1 and Bush 2 versus uh, Obama and Clinton. It's just not the case. Even taxes. Republicans raise taxes more than Democrats do. Oh, I, oh, no, yeah, you don't. I, I 
I agree with all of that. I they're all facts, actually. What you're saying. Um, what did you like about Reagan? Oh, to reframe it, what did centrists and Democrats really like about Reagan? Because as someone who came of age politically after that, he, to me, is clearly misguided in terms of his policies. I get his charisma. Um, so what, what, what was it that not only as an 18-year-old, but, but now looking back that you like or admire about Reagan? Well, you know, Reagan, he, well, first of all, he was a movie star. And then from there, he <laughs> the 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 platform well he's a mo- Hollywood movie sure, star sure, and, sure, and then you know he was a, a sportscaster as well um, so you know he reached a large amount of people through two different um, mediums and then you know after that governor of California and he had he was blessed with perfect timing President Carter negotiates the deal to get the hostages out of Iran and. Ronnie takes credit for it <laughs> because they were released when he was in office. So, you know, I, I think that really, that, that was the foundation of his presidency from that point. I and mean, pe- the, the Republicans for four years when Jimmy Carter was president built up this narrative. And I want to talk about how the GOP has been so much better at storytelling and narrative making than the Democrats, uh, which is why they keep winning elections against all odds, even though their policies act against the majority of the country. But they're great at constructing narratives and coming up with, you know, like the whole pro-life, pro-choice thing is brilliant. They're not anti-choice or, you know, anti-abortion. They're pro-life, you know, little like the messaging in the Republican side is so superior. But they came up with this narrative of Jimmy, uh, um, Jimmy Carter being a sort of ineffectual, ineffective, untalented, wussy, weak leader. Oh, he was a he was a dumbfounded peanut farmer. <laughs> I mean, that's so that's how George he was portrayed. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's how he was portrayed, and yeah. you know Reagan. You know we we know which isn't 20, true, by the way. Jimmy Carter's a very smart guy, even though I, I get his weaknesses as a president. He's a tr- he's a tremendous humanitarian. He's done amazing work with with his uh, time. The Israelis hate him, office. but most everyone else likes him. The Israelis hate pretty much everybody. Though. Hey, easy, easy, big fella. <laughs> well, I, hey, I love Israel. You know that. We're but, talking about the the government, just to be clear, because I agree with you on that sentiment when applied to the government. Well, you know, Israel's a lot like Detroit. There's a guy in Detroit who started a uh, t-shirt company, and the slogan is Detroit versus everybody. And I think they have that in common with Israel. It's well, Israel versus Philly, everybody. Philly feels that way too. I mean, I'm not saying we deserve to or should, but that is the way Philly, Philadelphians conduct themselves. Anyways, go ahead. Uh, listen, if you went and sat in the 700 level at the vet for any type of event, <laughs> you would you would be anti-Philadelphia as well. I mean, seriously. But on another note, you know, Reagan during I'm the let time, that go, Phil. I'm gonna let that go. At, but don't 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 try another cheap shot. I'll have to take you down. <laughs> Please don't make me laugh. Um, yeah, like I, like the Detroit 700 level, so civilized. They're like eating cheese and crackers up there with some some fifty dollar bottle of wine. Give me a break. No, nah, man, we're eating coney dogs and drinking Fago, baby. <laughs> but uh, you don't know those references because you're not a Detroiter. But um, no, I get the references. I have no I have no uh, way to uh, relate to them personally. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, but with Reagan. During that time period, and I, I was in my teens, I read the newspaper every single day. What'd you read? Um, I read the Detroit News. That's what we got it delivered to read? our house. I still read it Can online. Can I ask you about this? Because is it the Free Press? Is that the um, no? What's the newspaper? So the, well, there's two papers: the Detroit News and the Free Press. Oh, I got the Free Press right. Hell yeah! Okay, you, you got it right. Mitch Album writes for the Free Press. Right. He has he's written for the Free Press. Well, for, Mitch Album's I, dead. I thought no. 
Mitch Album is still alive. Yeah, he's still and if he's listening to this podcast, huh. he's going to be very upset with you to think that he died. <laughs> oh, no, he wrote the book about the guy who was dying. I'm sorry. I, I mixed that oh up. <laughs> yeah. What was that oh. book called? Anyways. Hey, Mitch, I'm sorry. This, this is why Philadelphia gets the black guy all the time. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so, okay. But you, but you still <laughs> read the Detroit papers today. And is it out of a, a weird sense of nationalism? Or you actually think there's good journalism going on there? Uh, well, it keeps me connected to home. You know, I like to know what's going on back home. But come it, on. Can't, it can't be worse than the Inquirer, that's for sure. No, I don't Or the, the Daily Inquirer. News. Yeah. No, the Inquirer hired Stephen A. Smith at one time. So I, I can't read that newspaper. Oh, come on. Don't be a hater. Oh, please, Stephen A. Smith. Are you kidding me? That guy, you know who Stephen A. Smith's sources are? I talk to the GMs. I talk to the coaches. I talk to the players. I talk to the aficionados. He, he likes to use the big words. That's like, that's, you know, but he, he messes, Trump- But he messes them up 10% of the time, which makes it endearing to me. Because well, he, I mean, he is trying so hard to use big words, it's great. And he makes, and when people make fun of him for using the big words, he goes along. I don't know I find Skip Bayless intolerable. So compared to Skip Bayless, I'm fine with Stephen A. Smith. Come on, Stephen A. Smith, and tr- he's like the Donald Trump of sports media. He likes to <laughs> use a lot of big words. Okay, and, and he, he is likes, pretty conservative, actually, politically. And he loves the uneducated, but who doesn't? So, so just to, well, just to reframe the the question and keep you going about Reagan. What was so powerful about Reagan was that dumb, sorry, sorry, middle of the country people with no money who live in rural areas who will never hear this podcast. He got the middle of the country, the not so educated folks, but he also got a ton of educated folks on both sides of the aisle. He did. And, you know, his presidency happened during a time. And, you know, Clinton, same thing. Lots of good things happened in the 80s. The economy was fairly strong. He got credit for releasing the hostages, which he actually didn't. He got credit for taking down the Soviet Union, which he actually didn't. We just outspent the Soviet Union and they went bankrupt. So some things happened where he just happened to be in office at the right time. And, you know, I mean, look, I, I, I think he was good. He brought a sense of calm, a sense of strength and sturdiness. He was kind of the John Wayne of politics. So I, I liked him in that regard. He seemed like a really strong leader at that time. But you know, as history went on and you learned, you know, our national debt tripled, the whole Iran-Contra scandal, how he handled AIDS, you know, he had a share of mistakes as well while he was in office. So I, I, I think history still paints him fairly well as a president, but the more we learn about his time in office, I think, I don't think people lose respect for him, but I don't think that, that shine, that buff on him is as bright as it once was. I mean, he spent billions of dollars on defense projects that were never going to happen. Um, he oh, has Star to authorize Wars. though. The Star Wars is the most Star Wars. notorious yeah. of them, but it's not the only one. It's um, not the only one. Yeah, and so um, I guess what's interesting is, even though Democrats supported Reagan uh, during his regime or whatever, that has faded among Democrats, whereas mm. Clinton is still... I don't know, like, uh, you know, like, even on Fox News, like, not now because of Hillary, but post-Clinton, you know, there were Republicans and Democrats during the Bush Jr. uh, administration that were talking and looking very fondly back on Clinton. Like, I think, despite Bill Clinton's many problems, he solved more problems than he caused, whereas I think Reagan, it's maybe 50-50, I don't really know. That was that was a little before my time. So for me, Clinton was when I came of age. I didn't get to mm-hmm. vote until 2000. 
um, which was the most rigged election in history. Whatever, we won't go there. Um, but the Democrats kind of abandoned Al Gore in 2000 and the Ralph Nader thing. And I think if Bernie Sanders wanted to sabotage this election, he totally could by going third party and getting enough votes away from Hillary for Trump to win, which is a scary thought. So you had Reagan... He had, yeah, he was an actor, he had charisma, he, you know, was able to project American strength, which during diplomatic relations was important. Um, Clinton was also able to do that. Obama has been kind of so-so on that front, although it's not really his fault. So how did the GOP, who got tons of Democratic votes in, in 1984 um, for, for Reagan, come to this point with Donald Trump? Yeah, well, it, to me, Jess, it, it's very simple. It's the Tea Party, the birth of the Tea Party. You got to go back about ten years. Uh, it, it was a fractured element within the Republican Party, and these are people who run on singular topics. They're so far extreme to the right, you can't negotiate with them. There's no compromise. And who was birthed out of the Tea Party? Sarah Palin. I mean, she is your prototypical poster child for the Tea Party. Yeah, I, am, I think I'm, Michelle Bachman more so, but I know what you mean. Yeah, well, I, I really... Look, Sarah Palin just was on the Michelle ticket. Just because Michelle Bachman is evil, but she's clever. Sarah Palin's just good-looking. She, she's too stupid to be evil. Well, look, Sarah Palin was... <laughs> Sarah Palin cost John McCain that election. I disagree. I, he was going to lose no matter what, but it didn't help no. the situation. No, she did. Well, she did. She was brought on to help, and she actually hurt that ticket. And the more she talked, the more votes that they lost. And it was so close in some states, Jess. Uh, that that I'm telling you, I truly believe she lost that election. Okay, for fine, you can say that. But now the Tea Party has ceased to exist because it's actually taking over the Republican Party. Exactly. And so, exactly. If, if you know, so if you have all these numbers saying Sarah Palin tanked the election. But now her people run the party. How exactly does that work? Well, why do they run the party? So that, that takes me to Trump. So there's a bridge between Palin and Trump. They have a lot in common. Okay. So, but pr- how- Trump, Trump has never prayed to any god except for the porcelain one when he gets too drunk. Okay, but well, what do what what does he have? Well, Trump is drinking much better liquor than Sarah Palin is. Trust me, Sarah Palin's cracking open a Coors Light. Trump is probably drinking a bottle of Hennessy. But but Jess, take a look at all of the similarities between the two of them. When they speak, they shout. Oh, they I talk see. down. They talk down to people. So wait, so uh, hold on, hold on. So you're bringing up, um, just to clarify for the Bizzlecast listeners, I know where you're going with this. You're talking about a- outward, stylistic approach in terms of campaigning and talking to people, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there's really no substance to anything that they say, but they're getting attention. So if you look at the, the styles between Sarah Palin and Donald Trump, they both talk off the cuff. There's no substance to anything that they say. They're loud. They're demeaning. They say outrageous things. Neither one of them are unifying anyone, really, if you think about it. Yet, they get a lot of attention and a lot of support. Uh, Sarah Palin's had all kinds of shows spun off from her VP run. Donald Trump has television shows and sells tons of products, though, 
I'm hoping you're not expecting to get that degree piece of paper from Trump University because they're in trouble right now. Um, and if you ordered those Trump steaks, they probably won't be delivered from the sharper image. But I, it's amazing at how many people are drawn to them when there's really no substance to anything that they say. And to me, that's just a simple reflection of where society is today. You turn on the news. What do you see on the 11 o'clock news? It's all negative. It's murders. It's drug bust. It's crooked politicians. It's Kim Kim Jong-un. It's Johnny Depp. I can't believe we've mentioned the two of them in the same bizzle cast. Hey, the Johnny Depp thing was very upsetting. I knew he was a little disgruntled, but you never want to hear that about a great uh, actor. True, true. But but as you pointed out, you know, you, you are overly cynical and usually is not misplaced when it comes to famous people and the secrets that they're hiding, which I think is part of what informs your whole Clinton thing. Go ahead. Yeah, so, you know, when you look at the two of them, their approach and how they reach people really is, I think, it's not even oddly similar. I think, I think what Trump has done is Trump... A lot of people don't give him credit. Um, Yeah, he went to Penn. He has to be a fairly smart guy. I really think he knows how to play people. I know. I know he knows how to talk to people, and he doesn't. He's not a politician. He's not schooled in that sense, but he is schooled. He knows how to use the media to get his message across. And he's the fact that he's old money is what I don't get. You know, if if he had grown up poor and got rich. And I'm the American dream. And that's kind of what he's trying to sell people. But that's not true. He grew up with money. Dude, but Jess, that's not what he's, that's not what he has people focused on. He is Well, he's constantly talking about attention. his wines and his liquors and his vodkas and so forth. Yeah, he's also saying that the windmills in California have killed hundreds of bald eagles, right. which is actually... <laughs> right. Even though he wants to start know, pumping oil out of every crevice on the planet. Yeah. Well, that well, that's his whole, you know, global warming spiel that it doesn't exist and... We don't need these windmills, and they're and they're killing bald. E- it's not. They're not killing hundreds of bald eagles. That's actually a very false statement. But but that he's a master manipulator. He's a hypnotist. He knows how to use words and phrases to divert attention away from the real topics, right. which would be economy, right. foreign affairs, right. which Bernie uh, and Hillary are addressing. I'd like to take this time to applaud both Bernie and Hillary supporters for at least considering caring about the actual state of the world, as opposed to Trump, who has no care for it whatsoever. Okay. Trump would, if Trump could live richly and comfortably, he would watch the entire world burn, <laughs> if that's what it would take. Seriously. If they're like Trump, if they told Trump, look, tomorrow you can either blow up the entire planet but keep your riches, or not blow up the planet and not keep your riches, I think we know what he would do. <laughs> and maybe most people would do that. I would like to think that that's not the case. Well, he's a capitalist at heart, right? Yeah, he's a capitalist at heart, you know, so that's attractive for him, but not for Hillary Clinton. I, I don't really get it. Again, the whole Republicans being more pro-capitalist than Democrats doesn't make sense. Um, can I throw a little philosophy in here? Absolutely. So you know who Hegel is? Mm-hmm. So Hegel was a famous... Very famous and very influential, but extremely difficult to understand, uh, German philosopher in the late 1700s and early 1800s, in what's considered the late Enlightenment period. And he was very, very instrumental in forming even philosophers, sociologists, and, and so forth today. Okay? Okay. And he, he introduced a, a concept which came from the uh, Greeks and Romans, but which he, which he expanded on, called the dialectic. Okay. 
And it's not that complicated on the surface, but making it happen is. Okay, so the dialectic is, is a type of reasoning uh, or, or using uh, rationality um, among two positions that disagree um, using rational discussion and then through that argument developing a third way uh, which it's, gets us closer to truth, hopefully. Okay, so the, the 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 lingo is you have an hypothesis. So like you introduce an issue, you have an hypothe- hypothesis, a word we've all heard. And so if I'm against your issue, then what would I be? I'd be the antithesis, right? So you have the hypothesis or the thesis, and then the antithesis, and then those two opposites, which are mutually entailing, meaning you know. <laughs> It's like cold and hot. You can only describe cold by referencing hot, right? And then having those two come together and then coming up to a new answer. And then that answer is a new thesis and then you have another antithesis. And this is how rational philosophical discussion is supposed to go. And we'd like to see political discussion go. But what I'm arguing is not only are Hillary and Bernie much closer than either of them to Trump, but the Democratic camp and the Republican camp aren't even arguing the same way or about the same things in the same manner. And so they're just arguing across each other, which is why we're about to live through many, many months of Hillary and Trump debating in which neither of them are, are talking about the same thing. They're, they're talking cross purposes, as we say, right? So the question is, if we can't have actual dialogue, even within a party, but let's say the Democrats come together and make a compromise they can't talk with the Republicans because they're not talking about the same thing. Does that make sense? It's like the people who are still the Obama birthers, right? Like you keep thinking this issue is going to go away and then it comes up and everyone's taken aback by it because everyone thought it was settled already. So, you know, the Republicans are talking about, about what used to be known as the culture wars, right, in the Reagan day. And the Democrats are talking about actually moving the country forward. And yet the Democrats have to fight hand-to-hand to maintain any sort of influence in this country. So I ask you, what, why is that the case? It's like Trump, Trump doesn't have to do anything. He, he's doing no work. He's just talking. Hillary and Bernie are really working hard when they're debating each other, whether it, work, you know, whether it comes across that way or not. Is there this sort of carelessness about, about Trump, almost like an amoral kind of nature to him, where... He's just like, screw it, I have nothing to lose, and that's somehow appealing to people? I know that was a long and complicated question, but really what I'm trying to get to here is, how do we get back to the point where we have dialogue in our country again? Because right now, it doesn't feel like that's happening. Well, for Trump, the dialogue is there. You know what it is? It's taking the place of his reality TV show. And unfortunately, for a lot of Americans, reality TV show, to them, is reality, when we know that it really isn't. Mark Cuban wants to be vice president for either party, he said. Listen, Mark Cuban would be, I think, a fantastic vice president. (laughs) I can't believe I'm saying that, but... uh, Well, except that he started by saying he'd be Hillary's vice president. He did. And and now he's saying he'd go either party's vice president. So that, I I, I would be cool with it too, but if he's that much of a political whore, I don't want him near (laughs) the White House. Well, I mean, he's a billionaire too, so he's got a little bit of an ego. But, you know, pe- people in this country, I mean, Jess, look at reality television. It dominates. It dominates programming now. And so many people identify with the Kardashians and the Hills and all these other goofy shows, American Ninja Warriors and 
you know, best chef, all these goofy shows, all these reality so wait, shows. So wait, wait, are you arguing that beyond his money and fame, it's actually his place on reality TV that is the number one reason that Trump is so popular? Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Holy shit. I, I, Holy shit. What I'm arguing is, I'm saying, telling you, Jess, that there are huge segments of our population that view reality television as reality, as something that could possibly happen to them one day. Yeah, like we're going to be Kim Kardashian and have a stepfather who gets a sex change and like, no, like, and then your, your brother-in-law is an alcoholic and he's going to get divorced from your sit. I mean, is that really what America, are we that dysfunctional? Yeah, people are so drawn to these. We are. You're right. We are. But people are so drawn to these stories and the negativity around all of it. Trump has taken his fame from The Apprentice. And he basically has put it on the political stage. He's shouting at people. He's uh, he's taking the the national media, the press, and he's putting them in their place on his own terms. And people love it. They're just watching a reality te- as opposed to watching it once a week for one season. They can pretty much get it every day on their social media feed through Facebook or Twitter. I mean, have you seen any of this guy's tweets? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, look, to me, what's just as disturbing is that I know a lot of really, really well-educated men and women, especially women, but some men who also love reality TV. Now, they're smart enough and educated enough to separate that from their lives. They're just doing it for entertainment's sake. And even though I find all those shows stupid, I don't even watch cooking shows. I can't stand this stuff. <laughs> you know, like, give me The Wire, give me Battlestar Galactica or Breaking Bad or something like that. You know, give me Homeland. I don't care about this other shit. But, you know, the point being, if, you, if your smartest and most capable people are watching this shit, you know, I, I mean, there's really no hope for the rest of us. It's just a shift in society right now and in our culture and I, I i truly believe that a lot of trump's fame and his support has been a springboard from his television show which is the opposite obama this is what's so crazy barack obama never shouted at people never yells according to all reports i mean he can be stern and serious but he's not a yeller or a screamer he's never been that way he's very subtle you know one of the criticisms of obama's campaigning was that he was too subtle sure. you know and, and would talk about issues even beyond what people were thinking about you know because he's a professor i mean he could be a professor he's a lawyer, a lawyer. he's a brilliant guy mm-hmm. he'll probably end up going back teaching if i had to guess either at harvard or university of chicago if he stays in chicago i do have some inside knowledge about this uh i won't go on about what, what my source is but um that is an aspiration of his is to go back and teach as well as civil rights work and so you have a really what i'm think is going to go down as one of the greatest presidencies in the history of the united states given the situation of where we were and where we are and you know it's so sad that now we're fighting over which candidate is less offensive essentially (laughs) am i wrong no i think you're totally right i think history i think as time goes on Every 10 years, the, the shine and the buff on Obama is going to get brighter and brighter. Uh, just, I just, think sooner, actually, but yeah. Well, just based on the facts. I mean, everything he's done from Wall Street to you know, the stock market has more than doubled. You got to remember he inherited a mortgage crisis, uh, Wall Street collapse, two wars. Uh, we, we could go on and on. He inherited the biggest mess in U.S. history. And for yeah. the most part, I thought... Well, minus minus post-Civil War, but yeah. Minus post-Civil War. And uh, some would argue and even say that 2008 
was messier than 1865. It's very possible. It, it's very possible when you look at it at a global scale. Yeah, because that so, was just a matter of you know cleaning up and replanting and so forth. This is v- much more delicate and subtle and complicated. I think there were tougher decisions to be made. I mean, outside the fact that Jim Crow laws were born out of the Civil War, which to me, it's still uh, that's a whole different bizzle cast we could talk about. But well, and I think Obama, as I was hinting at, that's he's talked openly about the Jim Crow legacy being something he wants to fight after his presidency. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean it's it's I mean it's terrible that we went from slavery to Jim Crow, and then it took almost a hundred years before African Americans could get civil rights and be treated totally. equally. But yep, we constantly moved in the right direction, you know. But in two thousand eight, Obama inherited foreign and domestic issues of the most serious nature, no other president has had to deal with, with such, I mean, the big three, to the big three collapsing. I mean, we could go on and on. And Well, and you know, I talk, I talk to you a lot about um, how, how so many of my friends are Bernie fans and how difficult that's been. Not that it's being a Hillary supporter, but just me never being so enamored with Bernie is the bigger issue. It's like, what annoys my friends more than me supporting Hillary is not totally getting down with Bernie. Like it's so obvious that I should support Bernie or something. (laughs) I don't see it that way. I'm a pragmatist and that's why I've supported Obama's foreign policy. And I was bringing in my friends to say, you know, my friends, they try and criticize Obama. The only real criticism they can come up with is his use of drone strikes. But my argument is we've had literally a thousand times fewer casualties since he's taken over and killed a whole bunch of terrorist leaders in the Middle East without having to involve a lot of people. Is it an ideal situation? No. But they just killed like the heads of the Taliban the other day. They they did. And it's all about choices, Jess, and I think But you for- need diplomacy too. That's, you know, I, I, that's the thing. If you're going to do military of any sort, you need to have diplomacy behind it. Go ahead. No, but what what you said is actually I agree with you 100% and what people who disagree with you on that particular topic don't fully understand is the trade-off is American lives. Yep. And, if, and if American lives, if those numbers were piling up, then your friends would be criticizing him for that. And this is my, and we've talked about this, but I just want to get it out there to the Bizzlecast listeners. This is what I call my clean hands theory and why I'm, I really just can't get down with the super, super, super liberals. I'm liberal, you know? I mean, even our family, Phil which is mostly Democrats, well, not all, but it's mostly Democrats Mm -hmm. in our family, they see me as like a socialist. That's how far left they think I am. (laughs) You know better. You know it's more subtle than that. Oh, man, you're you're Bernie Jr., just about 50 years younger. I'm not voting for my dad. You got got a little more hair than he does, too. (laughs) But, but, But my whole point is you can't make positive changes in the world without getting your hands dirty. You can't. And, and the isolationism that runs from Bernie Sanders all the way through the Republican Party of isolating ourselves from the world, you can convince yourself that you're saving lives by doing nothing, but by not intervening. I mean, look at Rwanda. This is the example I always use. And my actually biggest criticism of, of Clinton is not most people's, but 1994, Clinton had just come into office, Susan Rice was, I don't know if she was the ambassador, she was in charge of this whole situation. And we had intelligence that there was about to be a genocide in Rwanda. And that if we sent like 5,000 troops, we could prevent it. 
and we didn't do shit, and 800,000 people at least were murdered by knives, okay? So imagine what you could do with 5,000 troops with guns and organization. So 800,000 people were murdered by machetes and so forth in, in a very short period. Have you seen the movie Hotel Rwanda? You've probably seen some of this. Um, and this was a total lack of effort from the U.S., which is why when the Balkan situation happened um, in Yugoslavia, or what's now Yugoslavia, or what used to be Yugoslavia, I Serbia. guess. Serbia in Serbia and Bosnia, Clinton immediately jumped in and, and actually did way more than the Europeans, you know, who, who claim, that's the thing. The Europeans claim to be, you know, so pro the rest of the world by doing shit, you know, and then the U.S. gets their hands dirty. The problem is when you have people like George W. Bush invading countries, then it makes it hard to get involved on smaller levels elsewhere. But I'm down with Hillary Clinton's assessment that the reason we lost in Libya and uh, in Syria was by not sending, uh, you know, some troops there. Those are causes that w- could have been won and could have been won and fought with smaller numbers, unlike Iraq. So I'm actually somewhat hawkish on foreign policy when it comes to this. And so I, I applaud what Obama has done. And not an ideal world, but I do think you have to get your hands dirty to make changes in the world. I, I don't know how you feel about that. No, well, Jess, look, here's the bottom line. And sorry, and sorry. Just, just to finish that, that doesn't mean killing people necessarily with hands dirty, but just you have to accept the responsibility that things aren't always going to go your way if you're trying to make a positive change. Look, Jess, the bottom line is a lot of people don't understand history. History teaches us lessons every single day, and typically second and third world governments never learn from those lessons. And usually first world governments learn about half the time. Rules of engagement for war are always evolving and changing. If you think about the Revolutionary War when it was fought, it was not fought traditionally. The American colonies won that war because they fought guerrilla warfare style. Which had hardly been done up to that point historically. It it had never been done. The British didn't know how to respond to it. And as time has gone on today, so let's fast forward to today, rules of engagement for an advanced first world technologically superior country Wars are being fought with computers. Wars are being fought with drones. We're not putting boots on the ground anymore. We don't have to. Did you see... Sorry to interrupt. Did you see Eye in the Sky by any chance? I have not. Okay, great, uh, great movie with um, Helen Mirren, and uh, uh, it's it's the whole movie is about uh, Aaron Paul uh, is about a, a single drone strike in Kenya, and all in the U.S. and U.K. governments trying to decide whether it's worth killing civilians to kill some terrorists. Go ahead. Yeah, it's it's a tough call, but. In a war zone, people are going to die, innocent and not so innocent. And when you're talking, you know, it's it's a numbers game, and I hate to talk about human life like that. Well, can I, I'm sorry, can I jump in real quick? Sure. So, Phil has had a really interesting and amazing life. I, I won't claim to be able to say all of it, but you took some time off before you went to college. I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. Okay. As did I, by the way. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but you talked about how you had some veter- um, some military veterans in your classes, I believe. I did. And, and that really inspired you. And now most of them, I assume, were Vietnam veterans. Is they, that right? They were. I, I had a uh, course at Central Michigan University. It was... Chippewas? It, yep. It was uh, the Chippewas. It was uh, um, the history of Vietnam. And the guy who taught the course, the professor, he's still at Central Michigan. Uh, Hey, why not? He wasn't one of my favorite professors, but I enjoyed him. Uh, He was very much a part of the hippie culture of that time. And he taught this class every fall 
for a period of years. And I just so happened to be in a class with five Vietnam vets who lived in Mount Pleasant. And, you know, at the time you're talking, this was 93. So they were probably in their fifties at the time. And they contested every single thing he said. The books that we used in the class were books that the professor wrote on the topics that he taught. And these vets basically contested everything he said and would use their point of reference from actually being on the ground in Vietnam. So just for a perspective, so this is like the mid-90s, right? This, this was like 93. And what was really right. cool was these guys, they took this class every fall, the same group of them with the same professor, and they would drop the class with three weeks left because they never took it to get a grade. They just took it to come in and share their experiences so that everybody else in the class could hear from the other perspective. Now, they were, I'm assuming, fighters. <laughs> yeah, they, they were all army. They were all infantry. And they'd just, all seen action. They'd all seen action. So, Ser- what, so what were they so opposed to that your super liberal professor or whatever was, was trying to get across? Well, my super liberal professor, his whole point was the U.S. was completely wrong for fighting that war and that everything the U.S. was doing didn't help the Vietnamese people. And uh, he tend to portray... Which is true. <laughs> I mean, he, well, he portrayed American military men as criminals. No offense to your friends, but it's... Uh, I, it, was I, a way, it was two million dead Vietnamese. It's hard to say how that benefited I, anybody. I, you know, Jess, I, I have to say for those people out there who know me, yeah. and look, I, I love I loved it. I love to converse with people. I love to have conversations about politics and religion of all the classes that I took. And I majored in history. So I took a lot of mm-hmm. history classes. It was the only class I took where I never said one word. <laughs> That's I, an intimidating I, situation for I, anybody. I, Jess, I wasn't intimidated. I just, it was like a heavyweight fight. <laughs> it was, it was well, like, and they had done it before, as you said. So yeah, it, it, it was great. I would just, I sat right in between. Well, so let me ask you, cause this is, this is important mm-hmm. because I, I think that veterans, even if they come from a poor, uneducated, relatively uneducated background, people who serve in real wars tend to have a certain wisdom about them because when you're coming face to face with death on every single day, you have to get a certain honesty with yourself about your life. Um, and so, and this, we are seeing this with Iraq victims. Of course we won't know the, the real legacy for another you know decade or two, but what were they debating the specifics? Were they, de- because this really fascinates me and it can very applicable to wars we have going on now. Were they debating the specifics of the sort of geopolitical notions and policies or were they debating the specifics of what was going on on the ground? Yeah, it was a little bit of both. And this is the best way I can explain it. My cousin did multiple tours in Iraq. He was in the Marines. I didn't know that. And when he when he went in and when he came out, he was a totally different person. Yep. If you're not, then you have other problems. Well, exactly. And I, I think his perspective on life and how he looks at the world has completely changed. I think he appreciates many things for what they are, but I think serving in a war and being shot and... Yep. Being in a country where everybody hates you, yep. and everybody's a Muslim, and everybody's looking at you as the the power that wants to come in and sweep well, away your culture and no, change it's everything. No, it's never that. 
it's never that everyone hates you. It's that enough people hate you that you have to assume that everyone hates you. Americans that go to Vietnam now to, as tourists are welcomed. Oh, absolutely. Well, it's and, and it's they, hard. they bring money with them. That's why. No, 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 no. But the French, the French who colonized Vietnam before we got involved are still hated in Vietnam. Oh, well, the French were horrible in Vietnam. They did well, that's, what, that's what I'm saying is the Vietnamese understand the subtleties of the politics. Sure. You know what I mean? Even though we destroyed their country. And you, know, you hear these stories of U.S. soldiers just mowing down whole villages. I have to think, and you hear this in Iraq, you have to think that that's something that the soldiers would object to. Uh, I just think that if you're in a war and you're on the ground and you're being shot at and you're killing people yourself, you bring perspective that nobody can truly understand. And you can't ever say, Oh, yeah, I've been in your boots before. I, I can understand. No, you haven't. If you've never been in a war, you really don't understand what another person has gone okay. through. So it was more like, um, if I may, it's more like these veterans that kept coming back to the class just wanted to tell their story. They did. As, as, as opposed to like having some highfalutin political discussion or something. They just wanted to share their story. They did. They wanted to share their story, and they also questioned some of the theories that the professor would put out on Vietnam and how most people felt about Vietnam in our country at the time. Sure. So it it was just, I mean, it but, was. But that was, legacy has lasted. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, to even talk openly that Vietnam was a mistake didn't even start till the nineties, basically, right? I mean. Reagan was very clear that he was not going to be anti-Vietnam War, as far as I can remember with my presidential history. I could be wrong about that. Well, I think Hollywood started to bring that question yes. up. You know, born Kubrick. on the 4th of July, yep. this one Kubrick. movie. Yep. There, there were a few movies that came out that I think started Coppola. that discussion. I mean, Apocalypse Now. It's hard to watch Apocalypse Now and not be anti-war and just in general. Um, sure. So Okay, so, uh, so let's get back to, to, to the current place, which is despite the Republicans being flawed in so many ways, both subjectively and objectively, from my point of view, they somehow have maneuvered to not support Trump, but not also be against Trump. And it seems like they're going to line up with him. I mean, let, let me ask you this question, Phil. Let me ask you this question. If Donald Trump loses, how much damage does this do to the Republicans? But if he wins, how much damage does this do to the Republicans going forward? Okay. So if he loses, I think it completely dismantles the Republican Party. Really? I do, because... For all those people who were against him and then jumped on sure. recently with him, sure. uh, I, I, the ends of their political careers, I think, are in the very near future because whoever runs against them, they will make sure to point that out. Okay, If he wins, I think you could see the party implode simply because... Look, I think Trump is more of a Democrat. He's more of a liberal than he is a Republican. And That's I think how he's talking, though. Yeah, well, I think he's taught, he attached himself to the party where he actually had a chance to win. He could have never ran as a Democrat. He knew that. There's no way. He couldn't have. He attached himself to the party where he could get enough backing to actually get himself, possibly get himself elected. So if he did get in, I think it, once again, I think it would be a horrible thing for the Republican Party because A, Trump doesn't surround himself with anybody who he's going to listen to. B, 
I don't think Trump even shares a lot of the same viewpoints of most of the Tea Party, Republican Party uh, leaders. And C, Trump's going to do whatever he wants to do. It's not going to be about the party. It's going to be about him. The guy is an egomaniac. He's a narcissist. Which is why I think ultimately he loses, because I think ultimately undecided people are going to be really turned off by by that particular trait, even if they don't trust or like Hillary Clinton. I, I think the disgust of Trump is going to override the dislike of Hillary. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But I, this is what I've been saying. And, you know, go ahead. I mean, I, look, I don't want this to sound stereotypical. But I will say that I will say this: you you wouldn't be on the Bizzlecast if that were the case. Go well, ahead. Hey, look, you don't see school buses driving around towns picking up Republican voters and taking them to the polls to vote. You don't nope. see you don't see that, right? Nope. You but see it in Democrats, though. See, and if the Democrats don't have enough buses out on the road getting their voters to the polls, you could be shocked on election day. I'm not. I I don't think Trump can win. But the bottom line is, if the Democrats don't turn out to vote, he will win the election. Elizabeth Warren is going to get Bernie Sanders in line quick, fast, in a hurry. Just bookmark <laughs> that. Bernie Sanders is going to be on the Hillary train. I don't care what they have to promise him. They'll do it. What, what is she going, that- to, she going to promise him an In-N-Out burger? I mean, she, she better start talking to him now. No. What she's going to promise? Look, it wouldn't make sense for Bernie to be in the cabinet, right? His skills are, are wasted there. And I'm not, I'm not convinced he has the skills to be a great cabinet member. And by the way, I just want to add that people ask about, you know, why I'm supporting Hillary. Four years as the Secretary of State in one of the most dangerous times under Obama's first administration, I give her tons of props for. I, I say, you know, I happily campaigned for Obama over Hillary in 2008. But since then, you know, I've come to really respect her more because, because of those four years. That is an extremely difficult job. I mean, that's maybe the most difficult di- diplomatic job on the planet. Mm. She did an excellent, excellent job. And Obama's foreign policy successes can at least partially be attributed to her. Her and the fact that the one bl- uh, blip on the r- on uh, you know her her record or whatever is this so-called Benghazi thing is not even her fault. That's a military issue. It should not have been up to her. They should have had a military force circling that embassy. And the fact that she got blamed for it seems like people have forgotten about that. Now the email thing, I think people will get over that. If more stuff comes out, we'll have to deal with it um, a- a- as it comes. Um, but I, I, yeah, I just can't, I can't see enough people. Let's put it this way. I think people on both sides are going to sit out the election. I just think more on on the right will sit out than the left in this one. Oh, but what I was trying to get to is that I think the promise or the agreement that Hillary will have with Bernie is that, you know, because Hillary is tight with the establishment, they'll get Bernie on like a major committee, leading a major committee in the Senate, and that she'll be responsive to what he wants to do, whether it's about education or, you know, um, you know, like Minister of the Interior type stuff. I, I can't see him openly sitting it out or campaigning against Hillary because that would destroy the Democratic Party. You know, if Hillary actually loses this election because of Bernie, even though the Democrats are much stronger in terms of their infrastructure at this point, that, that could have an equally devastating effect. Wouldn't you agree? I, I agree. I, yeah, I mean, at some point, some deal will be cut, just like a deal was cut between Obama and Hillary when she stepped down. And I'm sure there were some handshake deals that promised her, you know, Secretary of State and what or whatever she wanted to do. So I could see that same thing happening with Bernie. 
But she just she wasn't just a serviceable Secretary of State. She really kicked ass. And the fact that she's on like a first name basis for for the last twenty years with the major leaders of the world. I'm just a pragmatist, man. That's the thing, you know? 20% of what Hillary's going to do, I'm not going to like. But the other 80%, I feel like she just can serve in that office. The bigger question for me is who she uh, surrounds herself with. And that's what was so impressive about Obama. He he was promising that he would surround himself with diverse voice, voices, and he did, including keeping uh, Gates as the, def- the Secretary of Defense from the Bush administration for the first couple of years. He yeah. didn't. He, Robert Gates didn't replace him. I mean, Obama was it's all about the team of rivals. You know, Doris Kearns Goodwin writes the book Team of Rivals about Lincoln, and what made Lincoln such a great president was his ability to compromise and have lots of people with different perspectives around him. Uh, George Washington was the same way, and that's how Obama um, measured himself. And so, you know, for me, that's that's the important thing with Hillary. Um, how, how do you? So we get towards the end in the predictions here. How do you see this thing playing out for the next six months or so? Yeah, I, I I do think Hillary will win. I just wish I could be the fly on the wall that first day she goes into the Oval Office and sits down in Bill's old chair. <laughs> Is she going to be having any flashbacks in that old chair? <laughs> well, she's not Monica Lewinsky somehow. Uh, yeah, I think it's safe to say Monica <laughs> will not have a position on the staff. Can, can we can we just agree with hindsight that the Monica Lewinsky scandal was the biggest waste of time politically in, in the history of our country? I you know I have to be I have to be frank with you, Jess. At the time when I was in college and all that was going on, I thought it was the worst thing that ever happened to the presidency. I I just thought it was. I know you used to say that to me when we met, and I'm like, are you kidding me? He got a blowjob outside of wedlock. Come on. <laughs> Who cares? I, Leaders have been getting blowjobs from people other than their wife since time immemorial. It doesn't make it right, Jess. But you know, um, oh, it doesn't James, make it. It doesn't make it a scandal that should you know take up the news waves for two years. Well, listen, JFK makes Bill Clinton look yeah. like a ninety-year-old school teacher. So. Yeah. And it's I mean, not a Bill Cosby situation. He wasn't forcing these women. There's never been an accusation of rape or, or anything like that. Well, I don't know. I heard the National Enquirer is going to post a story that Clinton was handing out quaaludes to all the female staff while he was in office. So maybe there is a connection to Bill Cosby in there. Wait, who, who's publishing this? <laughs> National Enquirer. Okay, I'm going I'm I'm to forget I ever heard you say that. that. That was actually a joke. I know, I know, I know, I know. But no, but you know what? You know what, Phil? To a lot of people in this country, they would think that wasn't a joke. Um, or, or, or already believe that that's the case, and that's what scares the heck out of me about this election. Yeah. Is that well, if more yeah. if more of those people show up to vote, then then the Hillary supporters, Trump could be the next president. It's not out of the realm of possibility. Well, and to circle back to the beginning, to close this out, because we're both educators in different ways, but we're also both huge you know, history buffs and politics buffs and so forth, people are consuming tons of stuff related to politics, but they're not learning, right? So how do we get people to learn as opposed to just reading things which back up what they already believe in and, and you know, actually get stupider because of it? Look, Jess, it's just a sign of the times. Back in the 80s and 90s, the uneducated people got their information off of bathroom stalls. Today, the uneducated people are getting all of their information from their social media device that they carry around. And they're looking on their Facebook and seeing bits and pieces of stories or crazy titles or captions connected to a picture. People just have to be more willing and open to talk about 
the real topics and what's going on out there. Maybe someone will listen to this Bizzlecast and it will help bring some clarity to who they're going to vote for, whether it be Trump or Hillary. But I just, it, I, people need There's to be... There's no one listening to this that's voting for Trump, <laughs> I can promise you. <laughs> hey, hey, you you might be surprised. I mean, the Donald himself might listen to this and then send that's us a little true. shout out on the Twitter. That's can you true. imagine if he sent us a shout out on the Twitter? The Donald... Uh, but but the fact that our our Creed podcast was so successful, I would think the anyone who might stumble across that podcast would skip it because they don't because they think Rocky needs to be white and they don't want to hear about a black Rocky. <laughs> you <laughs> you know think, what I mean? Do you think people still think that way? No, not that I know, but they must be out. There. I mean, when Michael B. Jordan, no one saw the Fantastic Four movie, but you know he was cast as Johnny Storm, uh, who plays. Um, uh, who's the fire guy? What's his name? Uh, uh, the Fantastic Four. There was a huge outrage because he's white in the comics. I mean, every time that you know, <laughs> there wasn't a huge outrage about Chadwick Boseman as Black Panther because he's actually black in the comics. But <laughs> everywhere else where they're not supposedly, you know, Idris Elba and Thor. I mean, if you can believe it, Idris Elba. People were upset that he's a minor Thor character who's white in the comics. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And I think that the racism and sexism is going to ensure a Hillary Clinton victory. And I also think that as much dirt as there is on Hillary, we've actually heard most of it. We're still going to hear some more, but I think there's a lot on Trump. I know for a fact that Hillary's campaign for the last year, even before Trump officially declared, but it was in the air, has been putting together a giant folder on all the dirt on, um, on Donald Trump. And so I think, I hate to say it, Hillary Clinton is going to be Donald Trump's worst nightmare because they're going to have more dirt on him than anyone other than the FBI and the National Security Agency, hey, <laughs> as far as I can tell. A must-see TV will be that first debate. I, I can't. I can't wait. I mean, he he's paying off a whole bunch of women right now for various reasons having to do with sex in the past. Some have to do with sexual harassment cases. Some have to do with just like fathering b- bastards. You know, I mean, it, <laughs> well, it's, it's really bad. But you don't know that for sure. Well, we're going to find out soon. So just to end on a, on a happy note, what do you think we've gained as a country since Obama's become president? And that even if we're not thrilled in this particular election, but going forward, like what are some sort of things about Obama's legacy or, or just his presidency that, that we should really be kind of honing in on as Americans going forward? Well, I, I, think, I think the one thing that I, I'm proud to say as an American, and really, I, I look through colorless eyes. I really don't see color in people. I never have. Um, I don't judge anybody based on their beliefs or their skin color, their religion. I just was not brought up that way. It's not my belief system. Yep. I never, I remember having a conversation with my class 20 years ago, my sixth graders, and we had a picture of every president up on the wall. So this was 1996. So Clinton was the last one. And I told my class, I said, look at all of these pictures of all of these men. What do they all have in common? They're all white. They're all old. And they are all, they all shared pretty much, well, basically they're all white and they're all old. And I said to them, I said, you know, one day maybe that trend will change. Maybe one day we'll have a female president like Israel elected a female 
uh, yeah. prime minister in 1960. A long time ago. 1960. Yeah. I mean, geez, yeah. that was 55 years ago. But they'd I, never elect a black president. That's for another well, podcast. Go ahead. Yeah, well, it, but then I said, you know, or maybe an African-American will be elected as president one day. And I, I remember saying to my kids, I don't know if either one of those will happen in my lifetime, but now we're looking at it possibly happening in back-to-back elections. And I think that really speaks highly of our country and how much we've evolved as a society because really there's no other country in the world that is as diverse and unique as the United States. So we can't, you really can't compare us to anybody else in anything. Right. And for where we've come in such a short period of time, I think that's something that we should be proud of as Americans. So I, I think Obama as not as a black president, but just as as a president, I think he's done a phenomenal job. And I, I think he has set himself up to be a role model to many future generations of young African-American boys and girls. I think it's great for the for those people, for that particular segment in our population. But I think it's great for all kids just in general. I think he's been a tremendous role model. And then if Hillary gets elected as the first female, um, you know, as far right. as gender stereotypes go, I think that shatters the ceiling completely. And I think it's just going to open up even more opportunities for women in our country. So I, I, okay. I think it's great to be living through this, this part of our history right now to see all these great changes and all this evolution in our culture within our society. Just, just really quick, and then I want to finish on education with you. I've actually been really impressed and surprised by Hillary's ground game, uh, if you know what I mean. Like, I knew she'd be able to rally support because of money, but her supporters are really, really intense. I, I mean, they're not as intense as, um, as Bernie supporters, right? But, I mean, you see the rallies and you see the people, and uh, I don't know I, I, that she's mobilizing this much enthusiasm uh, but it's not just from women. I, I think men and women recognize that this is important, wouldn't you say? Uh, Jess, she's, first of all, one, master politician. Two, her last name is Clinton. Three, this is not her first rodeo. She's done this before. She lost the last time she went through this process. Right. Just, I would never bet against her the second time around. She's yep. learned from all of the mistakes. It's true. She, it's she like knew- the championship thing in sports. You have a much better chance the second time, yeah. She- She's like Creed. We know he's going to win the second fight. Right. Right? Right, so, right, right, right. I mean, like Rocky too, yeah. Yeah, I mean, she's master politician, Clinton. She's done this before and lost, and she was pissed. And I, she's a bulldog. She's a lawyer. She's going to win this next election. There's but no even doubt. even though you don't like Hillary, you got to appreciate those qualities in the woman in 2016, right? Like... I like that she's aggressive. I like that she'll go after Bernie. You know, like I don't like when people are mean, but the fact that she's a bulldog, as you say, I see that as a compliment. A lot of people see that as an insult. I get really offended by it. And trust, none of my support of Hillary has to do with the fact that she's a woman, but it does not hurt. I'll say that. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I don't view, I don't look at her as a woman. I look at her as a politician. And I think the one thing that I do like about her is when she does get into office, she's not going to ride Bill's coattails and, no. all, and all the great things that he did. She's going to define her own legacy because I think that's just who she is. That's in her DNA. I don't think she would be content with anything else. I, yeah, I, I think that 
her presidency could move things forward, not quite as much as Obama. Um, But just to end, because you are a teacher for a long time now, do you notice a a difference when you bring up these sorts of topics with your minority students? Because you do have a really interesting uh, district that you work in. When you bring up Obama or just the whole political process, does it seem to have trickled down all the way to the individual level just from the students you've worked with? I'm just curious to know. Yeah, you know, I've taught for 20 years, and I will tell you that a lot of these kids, we're six, our school district is about 55-45 Caucasian, 55-45% Hispanic, mostly Mexican. Uh, there are some African-American students. It's a very small percentage, very small percentage of Asians. But, you know, the funny thing is, Jess, a lot of these kids today, they're completely color and gender blind. I mean, they are, it's not a part of their generation. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's really more a part of my generation. I know I'm a little bit older than you. I think I, I came out of Jim Crow. So I was born in 1970, which was basically the end of Jim Crow. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you a great story. First day of kindergarten, 1975, uh, I lived in, I, there's a neighborhood school. The elementary was about three blocks away. And I'll never forget my stepmom were walking to school, first day of kindergarten with my friends. There's three or four other mothers, and all the mothers were walking behind us, and I overheard their conversation. They were all talking about this new black teacher at the school. It was the first African-American teacher at the elementary school. Uh, Her name was Mrs. White. She was my kindergarten teacher. She drove a white Corvette, and I still remember her today. She was, I, I loved her. She was fantastic. But I remember the parents talking as if I can't believe we have a black teacher in our school. Right. And as a, as a five-year-old, you don't really understand why they have a problem with the teacher because she's black. Yeah. But, um, you know, that, that was at the very end of civil rights and the end of Jim Crow and equality for everyone in schools and restaurants and buses. And, you know, that that's my first memory of anything connected to that. And you fast forward to 2015 and, these kids don't see color and they don't see gender, which I think is great. I think it's just a, uh, just it's just where we are and how we have evolved as a society. But the kids love to learn about that history because for a lot of them, they can't believe it. <laughs> I mean, as great as everything Obama has done has been, his ability and not only does you know his ability and desire to talk openly and make jokes about him being a black guy has been so key. I mean, if you listen to his White House Correspondence Dinner stand-up routines, they're absolutely hysterical. It's like stuff Chris Rock could come up with. And so I'm not totally on board with the whole colorblind thing. I know what you're saying, and, and you are definitely that guy. I mean, you're the ultimate equal opportunist, which I'm on board with. I don't think our goal should be not to see color. It should be about to discuss all of our different colors, ethnicities, religions, and so forth openly in a way that doesn't offend, but that's truthful. And that's why I'm not down with the PC police. In fact, I've never sent you this, but I, I, I caused some stir at Wesleyan, which is probably one of the top five liberal uh, schools in the country in terms of its liberalness, um, because, you know, trying to, trying to break the tension with the PC police, as I call them. Uh, not a fan of the PC police. <laughs> we just need to be able to talk about it. You know, it's not enough to just say, oh, we're all equal, because it's not really the case. If you walk into a grocery store and a, you know, a poor black guy walks into a 
grocery store, whatever. It, you know, it's just a different experience. We need to be able to talk about that. And I think Obama is just implicitly with his just persona and how he's talking. I mean, remember the, the Jeremiah Wright controversy in the first campaign that was going to end his, you know, everyone's like, oh, this is the end. Hillary's going to win. He supports a racist, anti-white preacher, blah, blah, blah. Nope. He turned it into a, dis- a productive discussion about race. And he's lived up to that promise. And I think that's so important. And, uh, you know, Hillary's definitely trying to do the same with women. And I have to say, I am, (laughs) uh, you know, it does appeal to me that she does openly say, you know, that she's going to fight for women's rights as a president. You know, I mean, uh, in that, at least, I think she's being honest. Um, But, yeah, I mean, if if kids today who are born today grow up and there's been at least one black president and at least one white president and Obama's done a great job and maybe if Hillary does a good job, we can say that, you know, two two of the best presidents, you know, that's great for our kids. And what what do your kids think about this? Are they, you know, Zach's, Zach's old enough to start thinking about this stuff. Yeah, Zach and I listen to CNN radio every morning. On oh, the that's work. right. You were telling me about this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He loves it. He loves the. You know, a lot of kids like I always ask him, like Zach, do you ever talk about the election? He's like, Yeah, Dad. All my friends want to vote for Trump. Oh and, no. And you know, Zach, he's very introspective. He, yep. like, he knows Trump is off the hinge and just says ridiculous, outrageous things, and has enough common sense to understand that he probably wouldn't be a very good president. But, you know, I, I'm like, Zach, why do your friends all like him? Oh, well, Dad, because he says dumb stuff. That's why they like him. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty typical for a seventh grader, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You'd be attracted to the loudest, most ridiculous person out there. So he, you know, he's, he, it's interesting. Like, he hasn't really said who he'd vote for, but he definitely has said that he wouldn't vote for Trump. And he's watched a lot of the Republican debates with me. And he hears a lot of the talk radio on CNN. And, I mean, he's pretty good at distinguishing between a good choice and a bad choice, which kind of amazes me for a 13-year-old boy. But then again, how many 13-year-old boys are listening to CNN on their way to school? (laughs) You know, most kids are watching that stupid senior flip that bottle of water on a table. Have you seen that video? I don't watch that stuff, no. Yeah, it's gone viral. I, I, that's what I I'll tend do. to stay away from anything labeled viral. Well, I, I have lunch with about 15 sixth graders every day in my <laughs> office, so I, I, get to, I get to hear what, what all the popular things are going on out there. So that, you got your this, ear to the ground. That's good. My ear's to the ground, man. So that's what they do. They're watching this YouTube video, this kid. Senior, you got to Google it. T- Google uh, senior um, talent show bottle flip. So you 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 are the one that should be running for office. <laughs> you you you're, you're I want to trot you out as a centrist democrat. I mean well, honestly, if I can, if I get the money and the people or I hey, li, dude, my aunt lives on the same floor as David Axelrod. They're buddies. I I could talk to Axelrod. We get a campaign going, man. I'm telling you, this is this is doable. Jess, I would love it. The Coney dog would become our national food. <laughs> the first day as I was being sworn in, I'd flip my own bottle of Fago right onto the table, a glass bottle, and you'd watch it <laughs> land perfectly. I mean, it would just be no. Seriously though, I I, I would lo- look. I've seriously you'd be a great. Love, you'd be a great leader. I'd love to do something in politics one day. I don't know if that'll yeah. ever happen, but teaching is a lot like politics. Yep. And I'm fortunate enough to be able to work with kids at a certain particular level, at sixth grade, where you don't have to walk them to the bathroom, but they still need to be led. And uh, you can have some pretty interesting conversations with them. I mean, they're very in tune to what's going on, but um, 
it's it's really interesting to just get their insight as well. So Absolutely. yeah, I love to, Zach is just he's really into politics and he likes the election process and. I mean, it's going to be fun as we get closer to November. I, I can't wait for the debates. I'm like giddy. I don't know if I'm fun giddy. is the word. Oh, I'm not kidding. I'm, I'm going to try and stay away from it. <laughs> uh, and speak, speaking of which, to a final question, a fun question. Yeah, go ahead. A, are you Team Stark or Team Iron Man, or, or Team uh, Rogers, Team Captain America? And who's more Republican and who's more Democrat at this point? <laughs> oh, I'm serious. This, I'm this, serious. This is sick that we're comparing uh, <laughs> political parties to cartoons. Hey, dude, if we can vote for book. Captain America for president, I mean, come on. We, oh, that's who we need. Okay, so I, I'm going to say that I identify more with Team Rogers. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I like Captain America. There's just something pure about him. Yep. Um, and the all-star cast that he assembled on his side. You know, I just it's cool, man. I, I really like it. Um, I, to me, I mean, look, Tony Stark is more like Donald Trump, isn't he? <laughs> up, up until the most recent movie, Tony Stark was clearly the Republican. And, <laughs> and, and I mean, look, Steve Rogers grew up in Brooklyn. I mean, he, he's, he's an FDR Democrat. They even talk about that in the comic books and the movies. Like, yeah. he is an FDR Democrat. But... In this most recent one, man, he he wants zero government control and to and to act unilaterally. And when you hear language like that, it makes you think, uh, you know, is he maybe a little Republican now? And, and Tony's trying to, you know, bring everything underneath the, the same rules under the same government. I don't know. It's it, I, I, it's at least interesting they kind of role reversed in this one a little bit, I guess. By the way, X Men Apocalypse much better than the reviews. If you like BVS, especially, you should check it out. <laughs> yeah, I've heard bad things about it but i think i'm going to take no. zach to go see it and it's uh good it's I good did, i did watch fantastic four on hbo a couple days oh, ago okay. i had no idea it was fantastic four and i saw michael b jordan in it yeah had no idea that his character in the comic book was white Johnny um, storm yeah yeah but michael b i mean oh, dude, he luck well th- dude here's here's what's crazy is that even though the Fantastic Four bombed, they, they've had an option on a sequel, and they've been talking on the sequel. And then they immediately after Cap came out, they announced Michael B. Jordan was going to be in Black Panther, which is Disney. Fantastic Four is Fox, so Disney had to buy him out of his contract. So I'm curious how much Disney paid Fox to get him out of his Fantastic Four contract so that he could be a recurring character in Black Panther, where, where, he, where his skills are much better used. That's interesting. Now, I actually thought that Fantastic Four movie was pretty good. I liked the story. Oh yeah, it was. It, it, no, I, I'm saying critically and money wise, it did terribly. I, I, you know, it wasn't a horribly bad movie. I'm just saying the numbers. Uh, you know, X Men too. X Men's not making a ton of money. It, it's much better than its reviews. Well, what, what's what's the mark now? Do you got to make a billion? You don't have to make a billion, but you kind of have to make seven to eight hundred million. Oh, um, now, now, when you're Batman v Superman, which are the two most famous, you know, comic book characters ever, essentially, other than Spider Man, the fact that they quote unquote only made eight hundred fifty million was actually a big disappointment. They were expecting to make well over a billion on that, and so the fact that Cap is going to make you know close to one point two billion, which by the way I predicted on the Bizzlecast like four months ago, um, that exact number, whatever, won't go there, but it is considered a big win for Marvel slash Disney over uh, Warner Brothers slash DC. Uh, listen, Jess, $850 million, $1 billion. What's $150 million? It's a few Dude, less... you ap- guys should watch... It's, um, it's a few know. less apartments in Trump Tower. I mean, seriously? Come on. 
It's just the fact that a Captain America movie could crush a Batman and Superman movie. It's just in principle. I know. Know, that's not supposed to happen. Listen, everybody knows out there that you're very anti-Batman versus Superman. So the, just, get, just get it <laughs> off your chest. We all know how much you dislike that movie. You're just taking pot shots right now. Um, all right, you you cool to do uh, five minutes on the entertainment stuff, and then we'll wrap. Sure. Okay. Uh, any movies this summer you're particularly looking forward to, or later on in the year of trailers you've seen? Uh you know I've seen some trailers. I don't. You probably know better than I do what's coming. Can I can I just name some, and then you can kind of jump in? Go ahead. I did see the neighbors too, <laughs> which I never saw one. I didn't even realize it was good until I saw two was coming out. I was like, "Oh, it must be good." If one one was hilarious, okay. two had two had its moments. It was okay. Okay, I'm trying to find the uh, too many browsers, man. Oh my god, too many bookmarks, too many browsers. Um. Oh. Um. How about the uh, the Jason Bourne uh, movie? Absolutely. My wife and I are huge Bourne fans. Huge. Yeah, I know, right? Oh, yeah, I mean, she, well, she often tells me that she married me because I look like Matt Damon. So <laughs> that's kind of been, that's been that one. She's not a big fan of action movies, but we've seen all, all of them. So, yeah, we'll definitely see that. Um, okay, so here's a question. Damon or DiCaprio? Oh, please. Damon. Thank I think he's you. Much, he's My much dad more is such a... Uh, uh, your my, my dad's such a big DiCaprio guy. I'm always arguing that David's cooler. Tell your dad he needs to jump off the Titanic. If that movie was <laughs> overblown and overrated, oh, it's horrible. Matt, it's Matt such Damon. A bad movie. Matt Damon is much more accomplished, much more polished. He's done. He's been in so many different roles. I mean, DiCaprio's had a share of flops. Damon doesn't make a bad movie. Okay, this movie that I'm about to say is going to be either ridiculously a bomb, or make way more money than it should. And that is Independence Day 2. Oh, please. It's going to bomb. It, you think it's, it's going to definitely bomb uh, despite its budget? Yeah. Why did they make it 2? Like, really? Stop it. You know, that's like... I, like that. That's like after um, National Lampoon's Vacation with Chevy Chase. Why did they make more after that? They weren't... They, right. They're just... You don't do that. Like, Independence right. Day was a good movie... The no, second, it, it was it was good. It wasn't I, great. I saw it as a teenager when it came out, and even then, while enjoying it, thought it was kind of cheesy. But whatever. It was cheesy. It was a good movie. It was a B. I give it a B. But they should never made a two. I've seen the reviews of that movie. I will definitely not see that one. Well, there's two words why it's going to fail. Will Smith. <laughs> <laughs> well, not in it. He's not in it because he's getting jiggy with it. <laughs> no, because he's in Suicide Squad. I don't know if you've seen the trailer for that movie. In I have. That looks fantastic. I think that's going to be really good. It's going to be good. Now, they're teasing a lot of Batman, but then they don't show uh, Ben Affleck's name. I, I think it's going to be just a little cameo. But uh, I think Jared Leto doing the Joker could be, could be good. I think um, he's going to be great. He was just on Ellen. I saw him a couple weeks ago, and they showed a few clips from the movie. He looks like he's going to be a good Joker, and hey, I I think Affleck plays a good Batman. So I was extremely pumped for the standalone uh, Star Wars movie, Rogue One, that's coming out on Christmas, but they're having major problems to the point where it's public that they're like redoing large portions of the movie because they're dissatisfied with it. So I don't know what is going on there. It's a pretty weak movie overall. Um, I don't really know if any of these are really worth your time. 
Um, any TV shows that you've been watching that you want to share with the Bizzlecast listeners? This is a dead time for me on television right now, Jess. I've, I usually have like four or five shows that I watch. I haven't been watching anything. I am an American Pickers fan, uh, I like, but I haven't watched it in a while. And uh, I like Pawn Stars, haven't really watched it in a while. Big fan of Bill Maher. I think he does a great job on HBO. But I haven't really been watching a whole lot. You know, talked about maybe watching Breaking Bad with my son and uh, going through that again, watching all five uh, seasons now, of Breaking Bad. That is Bad. educational. Like, that and The Wire. <laughs> Seriously, very educational. Oh, uh, The Wire. I, I don't know if he's ready for The Wire yet. I think he could get Breaking oh, Bad. Oh, dude, have you watched Jessica Jones yet? You have to watch Jessica Jones. Won a Peabody. It won a Peabody nominee for a Golden Globe and Emmy. Uh, Kristen Ritter, who plays um, Jane Margulies in season two of Breaking Bad, Jesse, Jesse Pinkman's girlfriend who, yeah. who overdoses oh yeah yeah so it, it's a marvel show on netflix but it's not very superhero-y she's a ptsd survivor who's uh, who's a superhero i mean she's got super strength but she's it's not a lot of superpower stuff but she's investigating other women who have been sort of controlled and raped by this guy who mind controlled her a couple years earlier like a pi detective show with some superpowers really excellent funny but serious um, like I said, won a Peabody, has won a whole bunch of awards. Really, really excellent. Okay. Um, it is very, 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 very much worth watching. Freeman from The Wire is in it and is awesome. Carrie Ann Moss from The Matrix is in it. She's awesome. Uh, but Kristen Renner just absolutely kills it. it it's like, it, it manages to be very socially relevant without rubbing it in your face ever. You Wait, know? is that like, John, John Ritter's daughter? I don't think so, no. I think it is, Jess. No, she grew up on like a farm in like um, rural, in Pennsylvania. She grew up in like central PA on like a farm. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, but you'll recognize her immediately with the pale skin and the dark striking um, hair that she, that, that she has. So, um, all right, man, cool. Well, um, anything else you want to, uh, to share with the... Oh, 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 this is what I want to get you on record on. So if it's Hillary versus Trump... Okay, not today, but in November. Who wins and by how much? I want to get this on record. I think Hillary wins. Um, I think Hillary takes down a majority of the swing states. So obviously she's going to take California. She's going to take Michigan. No, I mean, gonna- I mean percentage of the overall vote, not, not the electoral vote. I, I see it at like a 60-40. You I think, think she's going to be- win by 20%? I, I, th- I think overall... Holy shit, I, that's I never see- happened. Yeah, I see a 60-40. I think she could take 60% of the vote. It really just depends on who comes out to vote, Jess. Jesus Christ. I thought I was going out on a limb by going 54-46. Oh, my God. Jess, you got to remember, there's like 50 So you think Trump's going to hit a a wallet at some point where people are, you know, just sick of his bullshit? Oh, yeah, I I think so. And you got to remember, there's 50 million people living in California and like 200,000 people living in Montana. There's not enough Montanas on the map for Trump. So I, I think the big swing states are, are, are going to go heavy for Hillary. I really do. And not only that, the, the states where Trump has the biggest margin of victory are almost all blue states or mostly blue states. So that says nothing about his popularity because she's going to win the entire Northeast. Hillary could win everything from Maine to Florida. It, it's in play for her to win the entire eastern seaboard. If that happens, Trump is screwed. <laughs> Cuz yeah. if she wins if she wins the eastern seaboard, some southern states with a lot of black people and then California, I mean that's it. I mean she could win Texas. That's what's crazy. 
Hillary Clinton could win Texas in 2016. Who saw that coming? Just because of the Latino vote, if they can I, get people registered. I tell you who didn't see that coming, Ted Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> who, by the way, I think just uh, changed his last name to sound Latino because he looks whiter than me, which is saying a lot. <laughs> At least Marco Rubio comes by honestly. Oh, both of those guys are clowns, but uh, I, that's, right, that's a whole other bizzle. Dude, this was great. Um, I'm glad we did this. This will be an ongoing discussion. Would you, you know, to commit to this now, but let me just throw out the possibility of post-convention, like, you know, late summer, early fall, revisiting this once it's completely locked in and we see what the dynamics are. Absolutely. I think we're going to have to come back and see what's changed from uh, June through uh, early September. Absolutely. If you don't mind me doing a couple quick plugs... Um, so, uh, my podcast with Phil, the Creed, uh, Rocky podcast that's at 748 at the moment and climbing is Bizzlecast 35. You should definitely check that out. Um, Bizzlecast 41 is my film commentary I did for Creed, which I did solo. It actually has become one of my most listened to film commentaries. So thank you people for that. I also would direct you to... Um, Bizzlecast 39 with my buddy Gabriel, who's uh, half African, half African-American, a good buddy of mine. We talk about Hollywood's race problem, which Phil and I mentioned a little bit here, but I've talked about off mic. And, um, you know, go to facebook.com slash Bizzlecast to, to see my postings, or you can go to soundcloud.com slash Bizzlecast. Yeah, Phil, any any uh, final uh, words of, of wisdom and insight to the Bizzlecast audience? Yeah, my only word of wisdom is, if you turn on Fox News, just turn off the television. <laughs> That's all I want to say to you people out there. It, don't get your information from Fox News. If you're waiting for Yogi Berra or the Super Friends to come on while you're watching Fox News, it won't happen, but you'd think it was the Cartoon Network. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> to, to be fair, MSNBC isn't much better. I mean, MSNBC is more intelligent in terms of the level of dialogue, but, uh, you know, I, I actually think, I hate to say, I really <laughs> only watch these stations on uh, election nights or, or pr- big primary nights. Okay. I think CNN has the best coverage. I love be- CNN. Well, just because they have the most people and the most diverse group of people on the nights of the big primaries. I mean, the fact they got David Axelrod and Don in Brazil, and they got a bunch of Republicans, but they're still smart. Uh, I don't love CNN in general. I, I kind of despise Wolf Blitzer and think he's just an android or something like that. But Anderson <laughs> Cooper is a very sharp dude. And so uh, if you need something moderately neutral, I would say CNN. Oh, this will be my really last question. Um, reading sources or listening sources for news, political or otherwise, go. Yeah, uh, well, uh, USA Today, I think, is very fair and in the middle. I think the New York Times has some very intelligent uh, reporters. They write some very, very deep articles that help people really get a better understanding of the political climate in our country. I think a lot of people shy away from the New York Times just because a lot of the articles are long, <laughs> which which speaks to the attention span of, of the typical American. But yeah. I, I think the New York Times is fantastic. But the USA Today, I think, is a great newspaper, um, great reporting, and... Uh, colored graphs and charts usa today made their name on that so if you don't like to read an article you can decipher a bar graph 
<laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah. No, USA Today, actually, I, I think their quality across the board, even to entertainment and sports and stuff, has actually gone up in recent years. I'm not sure why that's the case, but they're, they're often on top of some stories that you don't see elsewhere. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm a big fan. I, those are my, my three papers are the Detroit News, USA Today, New York Times. I, I read at least two or three articles from each paper every single day. So kind of gives me my local perspective from Michigan. Sure. The USA Today is kind of, I mean, they, they do world news, but I tend to do a lot of the national news. And then the New York Times, you just get a taste of everything. Yeah. So my quick plug will be The Guardian, uh, which is a UK publication, but they have a very, very, very strong presence in the United States. And they've really filled the gap that Al Jazeera tried to fill and failed. Um, I think Al Jazeera failed based mostly on name, uh, people being averse to the name, because it's not that much more liberal than a lot of other international publications. Um, and The Guardian is kind of there. And The Guardian's great. I mean, they, they've been, for example, openly pro-Bernie, but they'll run all sorts of different perspectives on, on the situation. And they put in a global context. Um, and then, yeah, The New York Times... Uh, you can't really go wrong there. Um, and then check out podcasts. There's so many great podcasts out there. And NPR has some. I mean, you, you know, me being a podcaster, it's a great way while you're driving or running or walking around to consume knowledge because you don't. You can be doing multiple things at once. That's why I love this format. So, all right, Phil. Well, this was awesome having you on. I- I'll promise to forward any hate mail to you that I get. <laughs> <laughs> well, those people who send any hate mail, they better be ready for a response. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that's actually the biggest threat that you could make, you know. You're like, yeah, I'm going to write you seven pages back, so you better be ready. No, I won't write them. I'll call them after I read their email. <laughs> that's why I love the internet. You can get in touch with anybody. Absolutely. All right, buddy. Well, it was great talking, cuz. All right, Jess. I'm glad we got to do number 50 together, and I'm uh, looking forward to hearing the edited version. As am I. <laughs> All right, buddy. All right, BizzleCast listeners, we're out.